Hello and welcome to episode number five of COVID in Africa, a podcast looking into the continental response to the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. In today's show, we will get a glimpse into how people are coping with the coronavirus in Central Africa and our producer, Rasmus Bits, is back with a story of a group of African refugees in Cape Town whose struggles to leave South Africa so far has landed them in a crowded tent outside the city. I'm your host, J.D. Ramalapa. You know, I have never gotten over my obsession with South African writer Bessie Head since the day I first read her words. In fact, it just so happened that the first time I read her book, I read her words out loud. My brother was sitting next to me, tinkering away on his computer, when suddenly he asked if he could record me. So I said, sure. Then this happened. Good evening, I'm Jedi Ramalapa, and in the headlines, the dreamer and storyteller. It was the winter morning just before dawn. The stars shone like bright, polished blue jewels in the sky and a half-eclipsed moon suddenly arose with a hauntingly beautiful light. And it was a summer afternoon. The summer rain had filled my yard with wildflowers. I seemed to be living too, all the time with animals' eyes. Goats staring at me, cows staring at me, chickens staring at me. I slowly came alive with the background scenery. What have I said about the people of the back of the land? I who borrowed their clothes, their goats, their sunrises and sunsets for my books. Not anything very polite, it seems. The wandering travelers of ancient times came unexpectedly upon people sitting around their outdoor fire. Who are you? People asked. I'm the dreamer and storyteller, they replied. I have seen life. I am drunk with the magical enchantment of human relationships. <laughs> I laughed often. The big, white, free world is full of innocence. One imagines that those people always welcomed the storytellers. I found this story, which I never finished reading, in one of her short story collections published posthumously in 1989 called Tales of Tenderness and Power. My brother and I ended up producing a play together called Lindy and the story of the missing storyteller inspired by that same story. In our feature today, the African refugees are the dreamers and storytellers we consistently reject. Bessie Head's story comes to mind when I think of the plight of African refugees all over the world who are now stateless, 
with no home to go back to or any means to get there, stuck in limbo, exposed to the elements and COVID-19. The time when we were brought here, we thought that we were brought in tents um, that are very comfortable, that are very nice and we won't be living in a place like this, only to find out that we have been put in a parking lot. This is Shirizadi Nsima. She's 23 years old and a refugee from Burundi. She's been in South Africa since she was five. The tent is not well made, it's not well fixed. Because as you can see, like when the rain has to rain, all the water goes inside. There's nothing beneath it, it's only those things. Uh, I don't know what you call it, the plastic floor. Every, everybody has to sleep on the, on the wet things. Mm. And you know when it's cold, sleeping on the wet thing, the clothes, everything, the, your bags. So it's not a very nice place. The tent she talks about is perhaps slightly shorter than a soccer field. And it's placed on a large, empty parking lot surrounded by a metal fence. Hundreds live here. It's hard to say exactly how many. Decidedly more than the 200 government estimates and the 200 the tent might have been suitable for. You were saying that side is full, but that side is way, way full. Yeah, that's true. Eh? Yeah, mostly the women are here and children. So it's very, very full. Most of the time it's noisy, but what can we do? There are children. I mean, what about this social distancing? Like, most people here are not even... They're not away from each other. We are, like, very, very close. To each other. People, everyone's touching each other, like lying down. It's impossible to not. Breathing the same air, touching the same things. Okay, this is your your space here. I sleep here and no mattress, just some blankets I put underneath just to make it look at least a little bit comfortable because of my child. When the cold is too much, we put our bags together, we try to fit in, you know, in order so the cold shouldn't be too much. Jerizadi grew up in Philippi outside of Cape Town. The crowded tent she lives in now is about 30 kilometers away in Belleville. For a journey that's taken over five months, she hasn't gotten far. Certainly not as far as she would have wanted to. Anyway, out of South Africa, where I know my family, my child and myself, myself will be very safe. I won't be intimidated by anybody, being refused by everybody. We won't be killed or being treated like not humans, beyond humans. So that's a life I've always imagined. Just out of South Africa, wherever it's going to be, I'll make life out of it. The problem for Shirizadi and the hundreds of refugees is that nobody wants to give them what they're asking for. The struggle has gotten them mostly suffering and enemies. And five months since it all began, the corona crisis has made them fade from an inconvenience to obscurity. It's been a complicated journey, but this is more or less what I understand has happened along the way. In October last year, a group of refugees, primarily from different African countries, began a sit-in at the UN Refugee Agency in central Cape Town. They were protesting after a resurgence of xenophobic attacks primarily on foreign-owned businesses in Johannesburg. They had one demand. They wanted to be repatriated. Many at that time said they wanted to go to Canada. The UN denied this request because they do not consider South Africa an unsafe country for refugees and they do not resettle entire groups of people. 
If anybody wanted to reapply, they needed to do it on their own, the UN said. And on the 30th of October, police in riot gear removed the protesters from the UN building. They are shooting for a gun. No one is animal. If we are, if, if as we are not welcome, they must tell us, they must talk to our government. We are not animal. But the refugees didn't go home. They doubled down on their demand and sought refuge in a church on nearby Green Market Square. Initially, they were welcomed in the church, and community leaders such as the Anglican Archbishop in Cape Town, Tabo Makopa, Human Rights Commissioner Chris Nissen, and the leader of the NGO Gift of the Givers, Imtiaz Suleiman, intervened to try and solve the issue. For them to expect another country like Canada or some other, you know, northern country to take them, it's an unrealistic demand. It's not a demand to be fulfilled by the UN, by the South African government. If they want to do that, then they should go to their own country first and make their arrangements from there. The group had by now grown to almost 650 people, and no solution could be found. What the refugees wanted, nobody was willing to provide. And even though the city of Cape Town argued in court that the refugees were not homeless, as time went by, many reported that they had nowhere to return to, they had left their homes behind. So even if they wanted to go home, they couldn't. The traders on the square were beginning to feel how the situation was hurting their trade. Tourists, they said, were afraid to browse in the stores when the refugees were nearby. And then there was the case of Jean-Pierre Balus, or JP as it goes by. He's a leader of the violence. Everyone you know that. He closed our doors. Everything's closed. He was the initial leader of the refugees, and while he's good at inspiring loyalty, he also has a knack for ending up in conflict. No one. And the state is suffering. He had a fallout with both the archbishop, the NGO leader, and the human rights commissioner, Chris Nissen, who eventually reported him to the police. Well, the, the, one of the leaders then said to me, you know what, he saw me in the court and he said to me, and, and I'm going to kill you. And that I took very seriously because when I was in the church, um, you know, delivering this kind of message, which we have had with the leaders in a meeting before that, and there was an attack on us, including me and the Archbishop of, the Cape, of Cape Town. Eventually, the group split into two, largely over the leadership of J.P. Balus, who was charged with assault. His supporters remained inside the church, while those who were against him set up outside on the square and sidewalk. J.P. isn't with the refugees in Belleville now, but he is still there in spirit. The group here is loyal to him, and many argue that the accusations against him is a setup. Yeah, he's not here now. He's in police custody because of the false accusation. That's why he's inside now. Is it false accusation? That is a false accusation because that man never beat anybody, never fight with anybody. Yes. Government and the Chris Nelson, J.B. Smith, they bribe. And from Scalabrina, Adonis, UCT Clinic, they try to bribe that guy so he can come and destroy us. We must go back to the community. Um, I've seen a lot of this ill-treatment of, of foreigners um, from, for other work, so I, I believe you completely. But I'm also, um, it's hard for me to believe that there was nothing about the thing about JP, like that the UCT clinic and the Human Rights Commission, that they were bribed. I don't see why they would want to do that. They did like that because, first of all, when we started the sitting, they wanted to 
offer him some money so he can uh, destroy, go out and they will take him with the family and the WCC members out of the country. He refused because even me, I was there. He refused. He said, I cannot do such a thing because if I decided to stand for the foreigners, I will never go back again. I started to fight for the right of the foreigners. Eventually, the city got a court order to remove the refugees outside on the square. And when COVID-19 came to South Africa and the state of national disaster was declared, the police finally moved into the church and evicted the refugees Contingent from there. Contingent of public order, uh, police banging down two of the church doors. You're seeing the main... Ostensibly, they did this to protect their health, which makes sense, until you realize that where they are now is at least as crowded as it was in the church. There's no chance of social distancing inside the tent. Besides that, there's no pluck for the refugees to boil water for formula for the babies. Apparently, the officials told the refugees to get water from the security guards, but they didn't want to share. This is Aline Bukura. So I was trying to say, those people, they are very complicated, those security, they are very complicated. You'll say this and them, they'll say no. Why the city can't come and put you plugs so you can do your own thing? Why you want me security, you must bother me to start making your kettles? Because it's what they always say, we have been asking them. Why me security, I must be responsible for taking your kettle and bring you? I didn't personally see the security guards harassing refugees. But together with the law enforcement officers, they tried to prevent me from entering and speaking to the refugees. You're not recording nothing. If you refuse, you'll get yourself in trouble, sir. They also wouldn't identify themselves when I asked. According to Aline Bukura, the spokesperson of the group, they wouldn't let a friendly local give Easter eggs to the children. None of this, of course, is the children's fault. They did not want us in the country, so we came and made a group here for us to try and help each other. I thought that this place was going to be a place for everyone, but now we are here. When they told us everything, what is happening, we are here for our own rights to leave this country. We just want to go a better place where everyone will accept us. Human Rights Commissioner Chris Nissen says the conditions at the camp is the responsibility of the city of Cape Town and the Department of Home Affairs. We can't abandon the refugees like that because, A, the, the parliament has given the responsibility to these departments to sort out the refugee crisis. And then COVID dawned upon us. And so when COVID dawned upon us, it changes the situation uh, a bit more than just having to deal with uh, reintegration or deportation. It means that you've got people now that you've taken to a safer place, and when they're safer place, they are your responsibility, and then you have to look after them. Neither the city or the Department of Home Affairs wants to be part of this story. Yes, it's also everything that a person goes through, it's an experience of life. Everything that we do, you, you keep learning more things as, as days goes by. Sherizadi is clearly a fighter. She lost her leg during the conflict in Burundi before she was five years old. But she refuses to let this define her. I don't look at myself being disabled, you know, because everybody keeps like, oh, you are a very strong girl and you are, you are like this. And I just, I just try to not put it in my mind because it brings me, it brings me that thing and say, oh, maybe I can't get a job because of the way I am. You understand? So I don't, I don't put myself into that kind of situation because I need to uplift my family, especially there will be a time that I will have time to look for my siblings 
and my brothers also that died in the situation of the xenophobic attack. She's put in almost six months of her life into getting out of South Africa. There's little indication that this has become any more likely. The parking lot in Belleville is an uncomfortable dead end where she sleeps in a crowded tent with her daughter. Under these conditions, it's hard to imagine that she'll grow up feeling more included in society than a mother. Our friends in the Central African Republic have also started to self-isolate and go into quarantine after the first case of COVID-19 was reported in early March. An Italian priest who tested positive for COVID-19 after returning from holiday in Milan was the country's first case. Since then, Authorities have advised people to stay home and minimize the use of public transport. They've also encouraged people to wash their hands thoroughly and consistently. Wearing masks in public spaces is compulsory. Churches, bars, restaurants, schools and universities have also been closed. Reporter Patagon Guachome Zokazu spoke to Nelson Bandol, a student at the Bengui University who is now also staying at home. This coronavirus story makes us really afraid. And according to me, nothing is more valued than human life. Reason of why I have to respect the advices given by the Ministry of Health. My daily life is only staying at home and trying to read my lessons because I trust that shortly everything is going to be okay, right after which we can back to school. But for this while, I call my classmates to stay at home. In fact, all citizens to respect the health advices, although it's uh, very difficult. CA or citizens uh, have to know as me that nothing is uh, more valuable than human life. It's true that uh, the life is very harsh during this confinement period, but uh, we have just to limit our action, which can be judged as a means of uh, contamination. So these uh, people must remember that our country is very poor and doesn't possess uh, many strength health structure to cure this uh, virus. So far, health officials have conducted over 803 tests for COVID-19 in Central Africa. 12 people have contracted the virus, and of those, 10 have since recovered. There have been no deaths. The Ministry of Health and Public Works is using chloroquine as a treatment for coronavirus patients at public hospitals. Dr. Pierre Somse explains why. The study that we introduced right now is to give some medicament with our patients. We gave the chloroquine immediately. In fact, concerning countryside, we have to keep this measure. Apart this, we have uh, we know that there is no rate of propagation about coronavirus pandemic in Central African Republic. Le ralentissement even though it seems Central Africa may have contained the virus, health officials are concerned the virus could still spread locally, which makes it imperative for people to continue to practice social distancing. 
Simplice Balemo, an English teacher at Tatatin Eshokala College, explains why he chose to stay home. So socially, I'm living with my family, and uh, I take this time to stay together with my, my child, to know more about what's happening at home. My wife also, I mean, doesn't go to work, so we have many time to discuss more about our future. So this is what uh, I'm living both, I mean, professionally and uh, socially during this tough period of COVID-19. I, mean, I beg to my people to respect these rules. They have to take care of themselves because by protecting yourself you can protect people around you i mean so solution but solution is not yet even the vaccination is not yet ready so we have to take care of ourselves central africa has not yet closed its borders and there has been a huge influx of people coming in from neighboring countries such as cameroon by road We're hoping that wherever you are on the continent, you and those you love are managing to hold on to some joy and fellowship despite the terrors, anxieties, and struggles. It sometimes seems cheesy to try and spread the love and light, but I have personally been deeply moved and felt much less lonely when hearing and connecting with people's intimate stories, both of struggle and of laughter. On a lighter note, I'd like to share my family with you. My niece finally heard her voice from our podcast last week, and she sent me a message of thanks, which serves as a reminder to all of us not to take ourselves so seriously all the time, especially now. Auntie JD, I hope you enjoyed the movie that we watched yesterday, that you heard my voice. And I'm now going to type you a nice message. I'll see you, but I love you very much. Oh, and I will subscribe to your little channel thingy on YouTube. Bye. If you like what we do, please share our podcast with your friends, subscribe to our newsletter by going to our website at www.soundafrica.org, send an email to info at soundafrica.org, or subscribe to our little channel thingy on YouTube to get more of our content. Reporting and editing in this episode was done by Rasmus Bitz. Story editing by Kelly Eve Gopman. Additional reporting was done by Pelagron Gucheme Zokazui from Bengui in Central African Republic. The dreamer and storyteller is a short story by South African writer Bessie Head. I'm Jedi Ramalapa. Merci Biku. Mocho Abrigado. Shukran Katir. Asante Sana. Bayadanki. Siabonga Kulu. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and sound.